11 is what we will be dealing with. Um, make sure I got some volume here. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 11 is what we're going to be dealing with. And obviously, we are dealing with a, a series called Habits, and we're trying to develop good habits in our life. We started out with hanging out with God, having a daily part of our life where we clear off some space, where we just separate ourselves from everything else going on and spend some time with God in His Word and in prayer. And, and we talked about that importance. And then we got into accountability and how it is so important to not only understand that you're going to be accountable and you are accountable to God, but you are currently accountable to the local church and to individuals in your life that God places there in your life. And then we talked about Bible memorization. It wasn't necessarily to win a tournament, but it was to get the Word of God that we are studying in our life and devotionally hanging out with God, getting that into our daily life so that we're meditating on that all throughout the day. Then last week, I talked about the involvement in the local church, and I tried to emphasize that it's not a matter of membership or just attending. Um, yesterday was college football, and if you listen to college football fans, and, or pro fans, or any fans for that matter, you ever hear the, the term, we won yesterday? <laughs> did you have a mouse in your pocket? What did you win? No, no, the Bulldogs, we won. Are you on the team? Okay, so what happens a lot of times in churches is people just come, sit down, and do nothing and go, well, we did that. Well, what do you mean we did? No, involvement. Get involved and not just be somebody that's watching it, but involved in it and doing it. And that is the biggest difference there. But today, we're going to get to tithing. Okay, now, let me, let me just say to our visitors, I knew you were coming, okay? In my 16 years of pastoring, I had found out, and we rarely teach on tithing or giving. We just don't, we only deal with it when it comes to the text that we're dealing with. And so what I have found out is every single time you talk about tithing or giving, you get visitors. And the, and the scare is, oh great, that's all that church ever talks about is money. And, and what we realize is, guys, no, we rarely do. It just so happens to be every time we do it. I've always said, if, you, if your church is having a hard time getting visitors, just preach on money. <laughs> and it shows up. And it's just this awkward situation. But before I get into this of, of Malachi and tithing, I want to throw out a few disclaimers, okay? One, our church is doing great financially. This is not a sermon about trying to get you to give more or we're broke or any of those things. The challenge here is to get you to live out the life that Christ intended for you. And when it deals with money, as you're going to see today, man, that's such a big part of your life. And so our goal here isn't to get you to give or get you to give more. I will say things that he probably won't for this very reason. I don't care if you ever give. I really don't. Do you honestly think the God who owns all of this is going to be hampered by your attitude of giving. God will provide a way for this ministry to run, whether you want to be involved in it or not. The key to tithing is God is giving you an opportunity to be a partner and to invest in eternal things. And it doesn't seem like that big of a deal at this moment. But one day, when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, and if you hang out here long enough, we emphasize that moment more than any other deal. And it's because one day, you're going to stand eyeball to eyeball, looking into the one who died for you. And at that moment, you're going to realize, not just tithing, but the whole Christian walk meant more than we realized at that moment. And tithing is an opportunity to invest in eternal things that are going to last forever. And you hear me use the term portfolio a lot. And everybody always talks about their 401k. And as a small business owner, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> However, I do get the concept of investing into your retirement. Well, guys, how about investing into your eternal retirement with the Lord? 
And that's what this is about. A couple other disclaimers. I don't get paid anything at this church. So this is not me trying to get more money so I can get a higher salary. I'm the perfect guy to preach this because you can't sit there and go, oh, he just wants more money. I don't care if you give. I don't want your money. And the bottom line is, I, in my 16 years of being a pastor here, never looked at anybody's tithing record. Ever. Not one time. Nor will I ever in the future. But, as many of you know, Kathy and Cheryl were my secretaries when I was pastoring here, and it was open record. If you wanted to see my tithing record, go for it. They, they were instructed that if you called them to print it off and give it to them, and I would dare say, that's still available. If you want to see mine, go for it. My point of doing that was to show you, I'm not just up here babbling about some stuff in a scripture. This is an area in my life that I have lived out for years and watched God just show up time and time and time again. And as a young man, I was sitting over at Grace Baptist Church and Tom Messer, Trinity Baptist out of Jacksonville, was preaching on faith promise. And uh, he made the statement, he said, my wife and I had decided years ago that our largest payment a month was going to be to the Lord. And I remember as a young guy just sitting there going, yeah, because you stinking bum, you work for the church, they probably provide your car, they probably provide all their stuff, you don't even have to spend any money. That, that was my attitude. <laughs> Which you may be thinking right now. And, and God wouldn't let me get away with that. Like, I, that just kept weighing on me, having my biggest payment, really, my, bigger than my house payment? Now, my wife has instructed me that if the property taxes in Paulding County keep going up, then our tithe is going to have to adjust. Because we have made a commitment to God years ago that our largest payment a month has to go to the work of the Lord. And now, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just telling you that's what God challenged me with. And I've watched God show up time and time and time again when we didn't think it was going to work out and yet every single time god has made sure it's worked out and man it is it's an area of my life i've seen god show up more in than any other area and so i want to i want to talk to you about this thing of tithing and giving in malachi chapter 3 8 and 11. Now, i could have went in multiple places to talk about tithing, but this is a very famous one. And as you're turning over there, I want to I give you a few alarming issues in the local church as generations go by. Here are some stats for you. Cons- consistent tithers are a small group, about 3% of American adult last year, according to recent studies. And what I mean by tithers, obviously the word tithe means tenth, a tenth of their income going to the work of the Lord. Now, according to this study, only about 3% of adults in America even do that. Which, if that's the case, if you bring that statistic inside this building, it generally holds the same. According to George Barnes' survey, people older than 55 are more likely to tithe than younger people. Tithing has more typically been a significant tenet of Protestant than Catholic traditions. And we are losing many of the people who have a habit of tithing, he says, while the proportion of homes headed by younger adults who have never tithed and don't plan on it ever. That's a concern as we move forward with the working of trying to get the gospel to the world. Okay, Now, our purpose of having you tithe is not to get you to give money here so that we have some huge budget to go up. That's not. Our goal is to take whatever is given, get it to the work of the Lord. We're not here to build bank accounts. We're here to help people and have lives changed by the investment we make, especially when it comes to foreign missions. All right? But it's a challenge that we need to continue to do. Now, I want you to take notice here. Right? And I want you to pay attention to these next two slides. Because this is a church that believes in preaching precept upon precept, verse upon verse. 
we believe that we don't just haphazardly go throughout Scripture, but we, we start somewhere and preach right through it. Okay, now, do you understand that if you just took the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, you have 500 verses on prayer? 500. Now, how important do you think prayer is in connection to the Christian life? All right, if we were going to preach on faith, how important is faith in the Christian life? It's literally the avenue that gets you to grace. And there's 500 verses approximately in the scripture on faith. Singing. We always talk about praise and worship, right? We, we start our services with it. And we do it on purpose because we want your heart to get to a place that you are applicable, that we can get you the word of God. 600 verses on singing in the scripture. There are 2,350 verses on money. Five times more than faith and prayer. Four times more than singing. So if Justin or myself or Jerry, if we're just preaching through Genesis through Revelation, five times more does the scripture speak to you about money than it does those other things which we would all say are absolute essentials to the Christian life. Which tells us that money thing really matters. Now, before we even get to the verse, money is an indicator of our hearts. That's why God spends so much time speaking on it. And here's the verses that he says here. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moths and rust do a corrupt, or where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doeth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. You, you know the old saying, you might as well spend your money, you can't take it with you? That's wrong. You have a way of transferring your finances eternally to the place where you're going. And you say, how do you do that? By investing in two things. There is only two things anywhere that are eternal. And those two things are the word of God and the souls of men. And you have an opportunity to invest your finances so that your portfolio and your spiritual 401k is there for you when you get there. And the bottom line is God's making that available to us. But here's the key verse. Look at verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, now focus. He didn't say where your heart is, your treasure will be. He says, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Which means you have an ability to change your heart and what your heart is into based on where you spend your money. Because if you're putting your money in the souls of men and in this book, your heart automatically goes to it. But if you are pumping your money into self, that's where your heart goes. Now, nobody's up here telling you, oh, you should never take a vacation, you shouldn't buy any new clothes, you should live like a monk. No, that's not scriptural either. We're not, God's not telling you to spend 100% of your money on the work of the Lord. He just says start out at 10% and then cheerfully give from there. And so it's an indicator of our heart. If I really want to know if my heart is a heart after God, then I just need to look at my checkbook and just go down and see what do I spend my money on? Because it will tell me where my heart is. Now, let's get into the scripture here. This is a famous set of scriptures that many of you know. And it starts out in verse 8. And he says, will a man rob God? It's a question mark. He's asking, will he rob him? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have ye robbed thee? Now, now notice. You ever, you ever have a teenager who goes, oh yeah? Where? This is what the nation of Israel is doing right now. God's going, hey, and multiple times he asks questions, and they'll go, where? Oh, yeah? Where? Where did we rob you? And so he says, in tithes and offerings, 
ye have cursed, you are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now where, herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall not be enough room for, enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. So, no, so he challenges us with, hey, make sure you give to me and prove me. Like he's setting up a challenge. Oh, you want to challenge me? Fine. Here's the opportunity. Prove me and see if I'm wrong here. And he's given you an opportunity. And then he tells you exactly what he'll do if you prove him. And I'm telling you as a guy who has followed this prescription in my own personal and family life, I've watched God never fail. Not once. Like I don't even have one of these where I'm like, eh, well, he, eh, it's kind of gray area. He kind of failed me over here. I don't have even one of them. And we're going to talk about what those blessings are in a little while because I am not Creflo Dollar. I am not going to tell you that if you give, God's going to give, you know, tenfold, you'll have cars and mansions and all that's trash. That's not Bible. We're going to define what a blessing is when he says, I'll pour out a blessing on you. You can't even handle it. The problem is we think that means financial and that doesn't necessarily mean. And oh, by the way, sometimes those blessings may not be received on this planet. All right, now, let's start with number one, the robbery of God. All right, notice what he said. Will a man rob God? What does it mean to rob a man? It means to defraud him, right? Of something is rightfully his or ownership, right? Do you understand the key to tithing? The key to tithing is understanding the difference between ownership and stewardship. As a young man, I got ordained as a deacon. I was 21, I think, at the time. That's almost unheard of, but long story, it happened, and we can talk about that later. But I'm a young deacon, and I'm sitting in a deacon's meeting, and we were talking about finances. And one of the guys spoke up, and he goes, I want to say so in where my money goes. Oh. Now, I wasn't that bright to come back at him. And I was also the youngster in the room, so I just kept my mouth shut. But I thought to myself, your money? Oh, you own it? I thought it was stewardship. Let me ask you something. According to Corinthians, you are not your own. That you've been bought with a price, Correct. So, so can I ask this? If you don't own your own life and soul, what makes you think you own the money in your pocket? I don't even have, my, I don't even have ownership to me, let alone the, the, the money that would be in my bank account. The difference between stewardship and ownership. Do you understand every aspect of your life is this way? That wife you got. You own her, or is that stewardship? Those kids that you have, were they a gift from the Lord, and you are stewarding them, or do you own them? Do you understand that every aspect of our life is stewardship? I don't own anything. I'm just managing it. You guys have heard me say before, Bradley has worked for me for 20 plus years. He's got our credit cards. He's got... He's got you know, access to all kinds of stuff. He's got keys to everything. He doesn't own any of it. He's stewarding it. And, and, and when he gets off, he has to be accountable. And so the bottom line is, guys, when God gives us something, it's a matter of you and I being good stewards over what God has given us. And I want you to hear me right here. The issue isn't money. God doesn't need your money, whether it's yours or his. God doesn't want your money. What he wants is your heart. And as we found out where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And what God's more interested in is getting your heart, not your money. 
But what he knows is there's this connection with mankind and money that the heart is connected to. And he realizes, man, I want your, I want your heart. And one of those things is, is, you willing to give me your money? We don't like that. And let's just be honest. It's hard to trust the things of money. I'm not a big loaner of money. I, I don't do that. And generally, if I give money to somebody, I don't even consider it a loan. I just go, yep, there it is. Now, the one thing I don't do, where did Zach go? Is he quit? Okay, well, let him know I don't loan tools either, all right? So I hope he gets all kinds of tools. Now, bottom line is God's not interested in getting the money from you. He's interested in getting your heart. And so, therefore, we'll notice that, number one, uh, letter A under this, the tithe is in the law and I'm under grace. You know, that's most people's excuse, right? Wait a minute, Corey. That's Old Testament. The tithing's Old Testament. I'm in, I'm in the New Testament. I'm living under grace. Okay, well, I'll just stop to say this. If that's true, and it's not, but if it's true, then a Jew under the law, outdoing a Christian under grace is a disgrace to grace. We have been given everything. We have access to God. We got this great high priest. We have a, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand how much more advanced the New Testament Christian is spiritually than the Old Testament Jew? It's not even close. And so if that man gave 10% of his whole deal, no problem. Then why in the world, as a New Testament Christian, can I outdo that? No matter where my heart is. But for those of you that use that excuse that, oh, wait, that's under the law. Well, let me just start you with Melchizedek. We have the tendency to think that when we're looking, since we're in Malachi, and we hold up and go to Genesis, we go, oh, that's the Old Testament law. Really? The whole book of Genesis, the vast majority of that book, which covers a 1,500-year period, Moses is not around. Moses doesn't come on the scene till Exodus. And the law is given almost 600 years after Abraham. So if you went back to Abraham and said, you know what the law says? He'd go, what law? The law of Moses. Who's Moses? He didn't even know who he was. Yet tithing was going on before Moses ever hit this planet. And here's why. If you go back and you study Melchizedek, he is a type of Christ. If you go to Psalms 110, you'll see that prophetically. If you go to Genesis chapter 14, you see it historically. If you go to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7, you'd see the doctrinal, doctrinal implications of that. And what we find out in Hebrews chapter 7 is here it is, he says, but he whose descent is not counted from them, referring to Melchizedek, received tithes of Abraham. Why was Abraham tithing? There was no law. No, because this law has been implemented from the beginning, that God's people give back to God's work. That's not a Old Testament law issue, that's a whole Bible issue. That God is going to provide for his work through God's people. That's one of the reasons that we don't do bake sales around here and we don't do, you know, the car wash thing and we don't do all that stuff. We refuse to go to the world and ask the world to finance God's projects. What we do is expect God to finance his own projects through God's people. And he does it every time. We don't have to ask the world for anything. Now, notice here in, in Romans 15, 4. You notice he says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime. Now, would you agree that Paul's referring to the Old Testament? He says, they were written for our learning. So even if you're holding to that, well, that's under the law, Corey. Okay, well, according to Romans 15, 4, whatever's in that law was for our learning. Okay? He, what is it we're supposed to be learning? 
It's the same concept. Give to God, God gives to you. That's the reason why we can go to the book of Malachi here and look at this and realize that we can gain understanding of what we should be doing right out of the Old Testament. Now, number two, the results of robbing God. Now, notice here, he says, will a man rob God? Well, yeah. He says, ye are cursed with a curse. You say, what does that mean? I don't know. Doesn't sound good, though, does it? He says, you're cursed with a curse. Ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now watch this as we break this down. Leviticus 27 30 says, All the tithe of the land, whether that's the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's. Then he, you see that colon there? You realize I'm, I'm not an English major. Now, that colon's to give you a stopping point, but then he's going to allow you to think on that, and then he's going to continue with the thought after it. And what he's saying is, hold up, all the tithe is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. In other words, what is God's? This thing is holiness, right? It's a matter of holiness. I'm going somewhere. So pay attention. Joshua comes around, and he says it this way. But all the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron, look at this word, are consecrated unto the Lord, made holy unto the Lord. We're talking about the tithe now. Now watch this story. You guys know Joshua chapter 7? The nation of Israel is coming into the promised land, and they're going to go in over here, and they're going to take out this place. And God says, I want everything dead, and everything in the village is mine. So they go in there, and Achan, they wipe this place out. He walks into this tent, realizes, ooh, that's a nice piece of garment. It was a Babylonian garment. Now, he grabs it, takes it back to his tent, and hides it. And all of a sudden, they go out to take out the next village, and a bunch of them get wiped out. And so Joshua gets down on his face, and he's going to go praying, and God goes, get off your face. It ain't time to pray. It's time to clean up. You got sin in the camp. Go deal with it. So he gets up, and Joshua's like, hey, at this time tomorrow, I'm going to reveal who the problem is. And Achan's sitting over there kind of, you know, oh God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And the Bible says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan. Took of the accursed thing and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. So let me ask you something. If we're talking about things cursed, how was a garment cursed? You want me to explain it to you? It was cursed, not because of the fabric. It, it was cursed, not because of what it looked like. It was cursed because it was supposed to be God's, and he took it. It was consecrated. So let me, let me, let me help you out here. There's some of you may be in here today, and you got an accursed thing in your wallet. God's and you took it there's nothing wrong with the money money in itself is not cursed money in itself isn't evil the love of money is evil so so if you're taking what is consecrated what is holy unto God and you go no I'm going to keep that one for myself God says uh, that's an accursed thing now you may get away with it right now but one day, at the judgment seat of Christ, all that's going to work out. Payday is coming. And I'd just much rather invest into my future, my eternal future, than to get whatever pleasure I could get out of whatever I could save by not tithing to God. Luke says it this way, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much, much required, be, that should be much be required, I don't think that's, did I type that right? Well, I copy and paste him, so therefore I don't think I can mess that up. But notice here, he says, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. So in other words, the, the basic 
rule of principle that God's saying is, where much is given, much is required. This is common sense. If teenagers, if you have the privilege of driving a car, then responsibility goes up. When God gives you and I something, our responsibility goes up. And so here's the bottom line, guys. One day when you stand before Jesus and give an account of your life as an American living in the greatest country ever put on this planet financially, and God blesses us beyond measure, and one day you got to go stand before him and give an account of your life. Woohoo! I've walked into third world countries and walked into what conditions people lived in. And I've walked into that stuff going, oh, good night. My cats live better than this. And yet, we have all this financial blessing around us. And yet, we can be some of the most stingy individuals on this planet. Because we get more into materialism than ministry. The bottom line is one day, the requirement for the American Christian is going to be different than the requirement from the Cambodian Christian. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, we'll be keep coming back to this, but he says, This I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Okay, you understand that the law of harvest is if you only plant one row of corn, you're getting one row of corn. Nobody goes out and puts four seeds of corn out and goes, huh, 12 acres. That's not how that works. It's the law of harvest. And so God says, hey, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Now here is the issue. When you sow sparingly right now in this present age, the harvest time may not come in your lifetime. That harvest may come when you stand before him. And if you've sowed sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. And you go, big deal, at least I'm there. You have no concept of what that's going to be like. When thousands and thousands upon millions of brothers and sisters who gave up their life for the cause of Christ are standing next to you. The shame that will come across us. You know this stupid saying that everybody says there's no tears in heaven wrong there's no tears until after the millennium you don't think you're going to be crying the day of the judgment seat that we could have done so much more and we chose not to so the reason for giving now we see the results of robbing god but let's look at the reason for giving look at look at the next verse he says Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. Okay? Now, I want you to notice that where he not only tells you to tithe, but he tells you specifically where to bring that tithe. Because there's a big movement that goes along with that universal, invisible church thing that I was talking to you a few weeks about. There's a big movement about, well, I give, but I give to the American Cancer Association, and I give over here to... You know, save a lot of kids fun and, you know, build another house fun and all that other stuff. And all that's awesome. Great. I, I'm glad you're doing that. That's not tithing. Those are free will offerings given however you want to give. Tithing specifically comes into a place called the storehouse. Now, hang with me. And if you're confused on where the storehouse is, he clears it up for you. That there may be meat in my house. And so as a local church dude, I don't tithe out there. My tithe comes here. This is why it's always interesting to me that people that are not a part of a local church, where do you tithe? Where do you give? And people who are in the middle of switching from one church to the other, did you 
do you like write the check and eventually give it? We, we had one couple here came and they joined and Brian met with them and they wrote out a big, huge check and they said, well, what we did is every week that we were looking for a church, we just wrote a check, put it in a box, and we realized that when God showed us which church we were going to be a part of, that we would take all that and give it to that church. And I was like, man, that's, that's pretty awesome. I mean, that's the way to do it. But you need to be giving somewhere. Somewhere, my house, the storehouse. Now, why is he calling it the storehouse? This is important you get this down. Because I'm about to, to show you how this works with the present pastor. Okay? Now, he calls it the storehouse. And the reason being is, if you go back to the Old Testament, and God divided up the land, there was one tribe that didn't get any land called the Levite, right? And the Levite are the priests. They, they, are, they are the ones tending to the house of God. And so the goal was, God says, I need them dedicated to my house, and they're going to live off of the tithes that you send into that. Because I'm giving you guys fields to go work. And from those fields that you go work, you need to bring that in and put that into my house that there may be meat, food for my Levites. And so what God has done in the present day is given us fields to work in. Mine happens to be the owning business. And so I go work my field. And when God gives me increase, I bring it and I bring it to the storehouse. Because there's some Levites that are living off of our fields. God has laid this out, right? All of a sudden you get into Nehemiah. Nehemiah is trying to rebuild the wall and he stops And here in chapter 13. He says, hold up. I perceive that the portion of the Levites had not been given. In other words, they weren't tithing. He says, for the Levites and the singers that did the work where fled everyone to his field, then contended I with the rulers and said, why? Is the house of God forsaken? Now notice he was pointing to the Levites, but he emphasized what the real issue was, was you're forsaking the house of God. So he said, I gathered them together and set them in their place, then brought all the Jews the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oil of the treasury. Bring it into the treasuries. Where do you think that was? The storehouse, my house, the house of God. Now, you get into the New Testament, Paul reassures this thing, and he says, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him store. Notice that? What's the house called? The, the what? The storehouse. Okay? So what did he say to the Christians? Hey, you lay it by store. In other words, store it up, bring it to the storehouse, he says, God has, he says, you do that as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Now, I just want to break down this real quick. Number one, he says, upon the first day of the week, seven-day Adventist, do you come back on Monday or Sunday and give? When, when do you give? Because he said, do it on the first day of the week, which makes proper understanding that you understand that the New Testament church is to meet on the day of the resurrection in the New Testament. That's just a little side note. But notice here, he says, let every one of you lay up by him store as God has prospered him. So every week I come in here and I give as God has prospered me. So that there is money in the storehouse. Now, we're going here. 1 Corinthians 9, 14. Even so hath the Lord ordained they which preached the gospel should live of the gospel. What does that mean? That means as you have a full-time pastor and you have other people in here that are, that are working the work of the ministry, God has so ordained that they are to live off the funds of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is coming in. Now, let me just stop. In the present age we live in, I think the vast majority of Christian workers are bums. I do. First of all, I think, well, I think most people are bums, but, you know, 
I have a, I have a disease anyway. However, let's just say Justin's one of those bums. And you're fired up. He don't do what he should. Okay. Payday's coming. If he doesn't do what he's supposed to do, living off of the gospel and what is given here, I don't have to be accountable for that. You don't have to be accountable for that. He does. So his driving force to do his job shouldn't come from the fear of this place. It should come from the fear of God. Because technically, he doesn't work off of my money or your money. He works off the money of the Lord that comes out of the storehouse. And if the Levites didn't do their job, it didn't negate Judah and Benjamin and Simeon and those crews of actually giving. And so we have a tendency to think, I'm holding back my money. They ain't doing what they should with it down there at that church. Not your money. And once you give that money into that offering plate, the accountability that God holds won't be on you anyway. But if you so choose to go, <laughs> I'm going to just stop my flow of money going in, well, now it's on you. Because God never intended for you to control all that. So, bottom line is, that's the purpose of giving. All right? Now, notice here, he says, in here, he says, listen, bring ye all the tithes in the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. Now, notice he says, and prove me herewith. In other words, this is the one area that God says, try me and see. You want a challenge? Challenge God in this. Now, I showed CJ this when we were sitting there. As a small business owner, there are times that we are blowing and going and things are great, awesome, writing a check to the Lord is no problem. But then there are times when contractors don't pay, uh, materials are going out, and it can get very, very tight. So tight sometimes, I know if God, you don't show up, we're dead in the water. And so right here in my Bible, right next to Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, next to the word prove, I have a little arrow, and I have check number thinking oh Kathy's gonna be calling me <laughs> we don't have it and I'm like and I said on that pew wrote that check and prayed over it literally pray not laying hands type stuff I'm just praying God I'm writing this check and you know what's in the account you know I don't have this but I'm doing it because you told me to prove you and I quote the verse right back to God. You said, prove you and to find out whether you'd show up. Well, God, I'm proving you. Write the check, throw it in the deal. I'm, I get goosebumps thinking about it because I've watched him do this. And just out of nowhere, Monday, some check comes in the mail. And I'm like, wow. I... I I, I never lose my sense of awe with him when it comes to that. And he's going, prove me, try me out. See if I won't. The problem is when you won't prove him, what you're literally saying is, God, I don't really trust you. Now let me show you how ignorant we are. We will walk an aisle, get on our face, and ask Jesus Christ into our heart, and trust him to get us from this life to the next. 
We'll trust him with our eternity, but we won't trust him with our daily finances. Prove me. Philippians 4, 15 and 17. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. He says, for even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desired a gift, but I desired fruit that ye may abound to your account. And this is what I'm screaming, guys. My goal isn't to get you to give. My goal is to get you to invest into your account that will be opened up on Judgment Day. And to know that you can stand there that day knowing, man, I gave and I invested. One of the greatest things about investing into missions is there will be people from Cambodia that will show up there. And I use Cambodia because that's just been the big deal of our life. But man, there'll be people standing there that day and God will go, you see that one? That's because you gave. I took the money that you put in that plate down there at Kelly Harbin and I sent it all the way around the world and that individual now is saved and he's in heaven. You're telling me that's not eternal worship like, man, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, notice this. Moreover, brethren, we do not to wit the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. Now, I want you to notice this, because I know what you're thinking. Corey, you don't understand. Papa Joe and this, this, this economy has got things so tight at the house, I can't do it. Let me tell you, I'm about to tell you a story of people living in worse conditions than any of us have ever imagined. Notice what he says here. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abound unto the riches of their liberality. It's the only time God wants you to be a liberal. So I don't like that. I'm sure. Well, just chill. Justin will be back up here in two weeks, so you ain't got to worry about it anyway. Notice, notice what he says. He says, listen, even in great trial of affliction and deep poverty, they were liberally giving. And now notice here, he says, for to their power, comma, meaning they did it through their power. I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. In other words, there is no way that these poor people could come up with a gift like that unless God showed up. And that's what he did. And do you realize that this is the area that you can prove God in? Now, Galatians 6, 8. For he that soweth to the flesh shall also reap corruption. Flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall also of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Do you understand that what this whole thing of tithing is, even though it's a physical act, it is a spiritual walk. And you've heard me for years say, let us continue worshiping the Lord in our giving. Because we're up here, we're singing, you know, we're doing all that stuff. And then we stop to take an offering, and they go, okay, let's, let's stop worshiping so we can get this offering over so we can go back to worshiping. I've seen it. I've seen it in buildings where they're passing the plate, and these people are doing this, and Now, guys, I'm not telling you you've got to put something in the plate, but if you don't think that action of putting something in the plate isn't worship, you misunderstand worship. I want to give to him because he gave everything for me. And I shouldn't even be standing here today. I should be dead and in hell. But instead, he gave his life 2,000 years ago for me. And I live in the world of whatever you want. It's all yours anyway, God. I don't have nothing. Now notice, I'm closing here. The results of giving. Notice here. He says, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. What do you think a blessing is? 
Now, everybody goes to these verses and they think, well, if I give, then I should receive. And they always think money, right? Because that's how most people preach it. But when you look over and your family is healthy, there's food on the table, you have a settled place in your marriage, you have a great relationship with your kids that are all saved, how much financial value would you put on all those things? I'll be honest with you. All three of my kids being saved in church, serving the Lord, is more valuable to me than any lottery winner could think of. It's just the value you put on that. So when you think about, well, I used to give, but God never showed up. I never got a raise at work. Is that the definition of a blessing? Because he says, I'll pour out a blessing on you. You can't even handle it. I got a son, obviously, who's working the word in our church. I couldn't imagine what that value is in money. It's the greatest desire of any pastor is that his son would be continuing to work the book. And yet, I think that's bigger than I can handle I couldn't have made that happen to save my life, yet God did it. He says, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and I'm going somewhere with each one of these. He says, he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall the vine cast out her fruit before the time in the field. Now, watch, let's go through this. Number one, a blessing that cannot be contained. As I just said, you, you can't even imagine what those values are. Number two. The rebuke of the devourer. Now, is there any doubt on who the devourer is? I mean, do I need to spend time to explain to you who the dude is he's talking to or about? Now, I want you to, I'm going to read you this verse. Deuteronomy 29, 5. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness, and your clothes are not waxen old upon you, and thy shoes is not waxen old upon your feet. How many of y'all got shoes that have lasted 40 years? If so, you are really out of style. Or you may be back in style by this time. I don't know. My point is this. God is able to make sure things don't get destroyed. Here's, here's a belief I have. Fine. Take that accursed thing. And keep it for yourself. God's going to get it. You can either pay it here. Or you can pay it at the doctor. Or you can pay it at the mechanic. If your car breaks down, you have to pay Eddie to fix it. And then Eddie can tithe it. <laughs> My point is, is, God's able to devour, keep the mouth of the devourer shut. And it's just amazing how we've seen this in our own life, that things have just lasted. And things take care of themselves. And, and it's because, you ever, you ever live in a life and you're like, everything I got's tearing up, it's breaking down, nothing's working. Well, maybe because you keep that accursed thing. Now notice here, not only that, but a blessing on our increase. Notice what he said here. He says, he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field. Now, what he's saying is, if you tithe off that field, give me 10% of that, and you keep 90, I will make sure that next year's field produces again. I'm going to tell you something, and this is the thing you got to hear me on if you've heard anything. God will give through you that which he will never give to you. Hang with me. Meaning, if God notices that you are a funnel, and as he increases you, you use that increase to give back to him, to give to the work of the Lord, then God will give through you 
what he will never give to you. The purpose of increasing you isn't so you have a better life. The purpose of increasing you is so you can give graciously more to the work of the Lord. Now, if you're stingy with what God's already given you now, why would he give you any more? I always hear these people that say these dumb things, and it just, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when people say stupid things, I just got to rebuke it. And I hear people say, you know, if I ever win the lottery, here's what I'm going to do for my church. No, you're not. If you're stingy with $5, you'll be stingy with $500 million. What you do with $10 will say more about you than what you would do with $25,000. And God knows that. Because remember, this is an issue of the heart, not numbers in a bank account. He said, well, you, that's because you make more money so you can do those things. Hold up. Where much is given, much is required. The more you make, the more you need to give. Which means if you don't make very much, God isn't requiring that much of you. But what he is requiring is your obedience. Notice what he says here. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. And use that like a funnel just to pour those blessings down on you. He says that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Remember, this is not about you and how awesome your life and what size yacht you can be on. Now, I'm closing. This whole thing of tithing is an outward showing of an inward worship. Now watch this. He says in verse 12, And all the nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord. People will be able to see on you what God has done through your life. Now, I'm closing right here, and I, I need you. Don't, don't, I, I, don't put up anything just yet. I need you for about two minutes to listen to me thoroughly. Now, notice here in verse 6, He that soweth sparingly reapeth sparingly. We already went through that, right? But notice what he says. Every man according as he has purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, right? We, we, we looked at this verse earlier. And I want you to notice that God wants a cheerful giver. It's all about worship. Watch. It is not a requirement for you to tithe to be a member of this church. It's not. You can be a member here. We'll love on you. You will reap benefits. That's all great. Listen to me. It is a requirement for you to tithe to be a leader in this church. Now let me explain this. How dare you as a leader in this church who is going to sit in on meetings and decide where this money goes and you're not going to invest? You know, if you don't invest into Apple, you don't get to have a say-so. You're not an investor. And if you're going to be a leader in this church, that means pastor, deacon, that means preacher, that means band, that means music director. It, that means if you head up Awana, Children's Church, you head up anything to do with leadership and you have a budget that you work with, how dare you be a part of that and not invest into it? Oh, sure, let's go ahead and get your opinion on how this money should be spent. No, you want to be invested in it. And you say, Corey, that seems a little stout. Okay, well, hold up. We started with this whole thing about where your money is, there will your heart be. So if your money isn't invested in here, why would we want you as a leader here? Because your heart ain't here. There is no place on this planet that she and I have invested more in than here. And every now and then I get a little fired up and go, that's it, I'm out of here. As though I get some choice in that. 
But every time I think about that, I'm like, 26 years of my life, countless checks wrote out, hours spent. I can't walk away from something like that. I've invested way too much of my life to this place. And there is no way I'm walking away from that. And part of the problem with the American Christian is he doesn't invest. He doesn't invest his money. He doesn't invest his heart. He doesn't invest his time. What he wants in the American church is let me go live my life and then I'll do that thing on the side. That is not the Christian walk. What God wants out of you is not 10% of anything. He wants 100% of you. And if that requires him taking it from you to get it, he will. As the band comes, I want to ask you this question. Are you in the habit of tithing? Are you in the habit of giving towards God? Because it's a matter of investment. It's a matter of getting your heart where it needs to be. Father, we love you. We thank you for all you've done for us. And God, you have financially blessed us beyond any other generation or country ever in the history of man. And where much is given, much is required. And so God, help us understand the gravity of what it means to giving to you and giving back so that one day when we stand eyeball to eyeball and look you in the face, we know that we have given our all to you. Help us be good stewards over what you have given us. Father, if there's any here under the sound of my voice that's never been saved, God, let this be the day they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Father, we love you. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Stand to your feet.